Welcome back to Women's Wealth, The Middle Way, the show that answers your questions about work, money, and family. My name is Susan McGlory Michael, and I am the CEO and founder of Glen Eagle, a wealth management firm in New Jersey. My name is Carol Ann Fernandez, and I'm the COO of Glen Eagle. I'm very excited to be joined today by Dr. Lakeisha Sullivan, a licensed clinical psychologist based in Atlanta. Lakeisha has 20 years of experience and training, and she's also a very successful author and media contributor. Welcome. Thank you very much, Carol Ann. I'm happy to be here. We're happy to have you. I thought maybe it'd be helpful maybe to start out and give us a little bit of background about yourself and how you ended up in your industry. I am a licensed clinical psychologist, and I have been a psychologist for about 20 years now. My training is in Chicago, and then I moved to Florida for an internship to New York postdoc, and I set up my first practice there. Then I moved abroad for about 10 years to be in academia, lecturing in psychology. And now I'm back in the States, in Atlanta. I'm happy to be here. I've had a practice here for, I think we, I just celebrated three years. I've been in clinical work for a long time, and I truly love the work that I do. I find it to be a privilege to, and an honor, really, to be privy to people's innermost lives and to provide a lantern, that's how I like to say it, a lantern in a dark cave. And I can generally know the way, but, <laughs> but we're working together to get ourselves into a different space. And so, and that's, that's all we can ask for, right? <laughs> absolutely. You wrote an article for the Washington Post, and it was about making friends with the inner critic. I think it would be helpful if you could talk about what is the inner critic and how do you make friends with it? I really love this work in terms of when I learned about the inner critic work and the research behind it, found it so useful, both professionally and personally. And when I discuss it with my patients, as well as my children, to be quite honest, they're nine and 11, and they really love this concept. So yes, I had the opportunity to write this article for the Post. So the inner critic is this voice in our heads. It's different from self-criticism in that with self-criticism, we usually say I, like, ah, I shouldn't have done that, or I wish I would have blah, blah, blah. But the inner critic typically uses second person language. It says you, it calls you, you. And it also uses your name. And the inner critic is especially powerful because our brains process it's thought of what it's saying to us as if it is someone else actually talking to us. And so it makes it a, a very powerful figure in our lives, in, in our heads. And it's almost like it is a figure that is talking to us and that it knows all of our history and can easily retrieve things in terms of our previous failures. It knows exactly what we're doing currently and how we are setting ourselves up for failures as far as it's concerned and how things may happen in the future if we keep going along this path as far as it's concerned. So the inner critic, um, it comes about and it calls us names or it comments on what we're doing and whatever we're doing is not good enough. So it says stuff like, ah, you really need to get your act together. You're really not 
who you say you are and people are going to find this out. So you really need to buckle down basically like this whip in our heads. So we have these thoughts, but we don't intuitively capture them as something else, like something outside of our own thoughts. When we have a thought, we automatically engage with it as if it is us, which is a natural response. But with the inner critic, it's very helpful to twirl this whole thing around and think about it as, you know what, I'm a person who has thoughts. I'm a person who has feelings. But thoughts live out there, almost like in thought land. And I can access those thoughts. I can access an infinite number of thoughts, and they show up. And so then that little bit of a distance can help us, one, recognize when the inner critic comes and to then engage with it as if it is outside of ourselves versus, again, this reflexive engagement of, I had this thought, therefore, it's my thought, therefore, I need to counter it, I need to go with it, I need to engage with it, whatever. And so with the inner critic, one of the first things to do is just to notice it. And to notice the difference when you hear a thought that says you. That's so interesting. While you were talking, I was trying to mm -hmm. think of situations where if I use I or you. So that's true. To be quite honest, the inner critic, when I was writing the article, I mean, it it ran amok. I mean, it went on a tear. (laughs) Like, (laughs) you're not a good writer. What do you think you are? You think you're now the expert in this? Like, where are your published studies? You show me that. (laughs) And so... It's in all of us. Having that little bit of a distance in thinking about our thoughts makes a world of difference because, of course, the inner critic is very harsh and it can be abusive. It can say things that we would never say to another person, calling them names and all of that kind of stuff. And so, first of all, recognizing it and then doing the thing that I'm doing in talking about it, which is third-personing it putting it out there versus it's, it's me. So I, I talk about the inner critic as an entity outside of myself or outside of my patient. Then we can look at it from a point, from a perspective where we're less reactive to it. We can be more curious about it if it's out there versus in me. This inner critic idea is, is, was mind-blowing to me. <laughs> Yeah, um, I know. I'm, and, I'm thinking the same thing. <laughs> right. And so, yeah. I'm just curious. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Not to get you off. No, go ahead. Uh, I'm just curious. I don't know if you have any any research on this, but has there been anything to show that um, women versus men with the inner critic? I assume everyone has it, but it doesn't mm-hmm. seem to be stronger or have more effect on either of the sexes? That is a very good question. I would love to do that research or yeah. to consult the research on that. What I would say, though, is that I suspect it shows up differently. Again, I I haven't consulted the research on this, but from my clinical experience, I would say that the themes are a bit different regarding for, for men and traditional expectations around productivity or earning earnings or all of those things. It shows up berating them when they fall, invariably, when they fall um, yeah. of those expectations. For women, it's, it definitely shows up when and how women are often 
tasked with balancing these very big areas of life, child raising with family stuff, with taking care of aging parents, with, oh, oh, let's not forget professional lives, all of these things. And so the inner critic has a lot of inroads for coming through and trying to talk to us in a crazy way about all of these different areas. I certainly found that in my practice during the pandemic, all of my patients had the inner critic coming through in ways that were harsher because of how isolating the pandemic was and how we often needed other people to bounce things off of to know how we're doing in life. We're bringing us back to reality a little bit. (laughs) Exactly. And so because those things were missing, I found that a lot of women especially were really struggling with the inner critic and feeling like they're falling short and balancing career and family stuff. I'll just ask you one more question. What what advice would you give to maybe, uh, speaking of parents, who are trying to help their their children overcome negative self-talk or what we're referring to as the inner critic? I think actually talking about it, talking about this voice, talking about how a thought is a thought. Thoughts don't inherently have power. The power that thoughts have is the power that we give thoughts. And so a great exercise a parent can do is with their kid who's struggling with this to say, okay, I want you to take a moment and think really, really hard about the next person who you see pass goes past you. They're going to trip and fall. Just think really, really hard, really get into it. And hopefully the person does not trip. <laughs> and, but it drives home the point that a thought is a thought. And that we can then have choices about how we engage with thoughts. And so we can learn to talk back to thoughts. We can learn to poke holes in the supposed logic of the thought. We can even take the position of letting the thoughts happen all around us. And we sit right there in the middle, like image of the war going on around us, of our thoughts. And instead of busting out a new shield or sword, we actually have a choice to sit right in the middle, which is the doing part, which is the not doing. And that is a really powerful strategy to teach kids that thoughts and emotions come up, but we have a choice about how we engage with them. And we can continue moving on in our lives with those thoughts and feelings riding right beside us. We don't have to get rid of them. We don't have to let them run the thing. We can, right. we can choose. That's great advice, and as someone who has two young kids, a little too young probably for this yet, but keeping it in in mind. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with all of us today. This is extremely interesting. I know we'll be all looking to your next research and learning more about how we can (laughs) tamper this negative self-talk. Absolutely. Well, thank you again. It's, It's a pleasure to talk about these things. Thanks for tuning into today's episode of Women's Wealth the middle way. Make sure to subscribe to us and leave a review on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcast app. Join us for new episodes every other Wednesday. See you in two weeks.